Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashnor Kabir, and I stare at the sun. This week, we don't explore Taoism again, but we talk about the implication of the ideas of Taoism and other philosophies with similar messages. And we ask the question, are there universal truths? I feel like I'm the host of Ear Biscuits now. Uh, shout out Red in the link. Great guys. Uh, I never met them, but I'm sure they're great guys. Uh, <laughs> now, for this, we're going to avoid the theistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. We're going to, these religions are a part of history. And honestly, it seems like they are evolutions of similar ideas. Here, we're going to focus more on, I guess you'd call them, lifestyle philosophies, practices, and ideas that don't have anything to do with believing in God. And that's not to uh, hate on the Judeo-Christian, Islamic, whatever religions. Uh, I follow one of them myself, so I'm not going to not gonna crap on them, but it, just the, I, I'm not here to indoctrinate. I'm not here to give you a religion. Uh, this is not a religious podcast, and I don't want it to be, so we're going to avoid the religious things. However, the idea of God isn't always the same in every system of belief. But a lot of belief systems do have the idea of a oneness, and that's where we'll start. Last week, we talked about Taoism, and the center of Taoism is, of course, the Tao, the, this unexplainable, larger-than-language thing. This thing encompasses everything, what everything came from and will go back to. If you're a frequent listener of the podcast, you may have already connected the dot between this idea and the first universal law I shared in the episode on universal laws. The universal law of divine oneness, which states that everything and everyone is connected, that we all go back to this larger, quote, spirit, end quote. And if we look into other philosophies, we see they have the same idea in certain sects of Buddhism. They may call this the divine oneness. In ancient Hindu history, they have the idea of the Brahman, which actually is kind of explained exactly like the Tao. It's ineffable. It's all-encompassing. It's the basis for everything. We also talked about chi in Taoism, which is the idea of energy, the energy that makes up everything. I told you about how science generally would agree with this, that matter is derived from a form of energy. The Brahman in Hinduism also covers this idea. Also, Li, which talks about how the universe maintains order even within its chaos. This lends itself to the idea that everything is constantly in motion, that all things in the universe go through creation, evolution, and destruction. This is the idea that we say that we saw again in the universal and karmic laws, specifically the law of vibration, saying that everything moves, the law of perpetual transmutation of energy, which states that all energy is constantly moving and flowing between forms. The Buddha also found this whilst he was meditating. Back in the day when the Buddha was trying to become, well, the Buddha, uh, while he was meditating, he noticed that when he inhaled, his chest rose, and when he exhaled, his chest fell. He then was able to look around and realize that everything followed the same pattern. Trees would get planted, they would rise, and then one day they would fall. We actually know that one kind of tree, the way that they are incubated, I guess that's the best word, is when the acorns like are exposed to incredible heat. What this means is that a forest fire, for example, makes it so that another forest can grow in its place. It's actually really, really, really cool. And so destruction brings on creation for this certain species of plant. I don't remember which one it is. I want to say 
it's not pine trees. Maybe oak. I, I don't know. It's a pretty... There's there's a few of them around. They're not extinct yet, but and so yeah, he he looked around and he saw that everything followed the same pattern: this creation, this evolution, and this destruction. And thousands of years later, Existentacion ran into the idea of himself, and he called it what I call it: creation and evolution. All things are created, they evolve, and then one day they go back down. Even the sun, it was made in a supernova at some point. Stars are made when in big old dust clouds, and the dust clouds get some close to each other gravity does some magic stuff and then the elements are specific and then the fusion and then magic and then star <laughs> that's i mean that's close enough i that's that's close enough i'm sure it was made in a supernova at some point our sun was and over time it will continue to evolve and one day it will swallow the earth and then go boom boom so there's even more universal laws that you may have noticed when going over Taoism, the law of rhythm relates to the idea of yin and yang from Taoism, where they said that things are always swinging between these states of yin and yang. Finally, the last thing we'll mention for this point here is squeezing the pips until the squee- pips squeak. That's a saying that came out of World War One. After we obliterated World War, uh, or after we obliterated Germany in World War One, uh, one I think it was. I want to say it was Winston Churchill or someone, I think, in the EU. They said that we were basically just abusing Germany after the war ended. We like said, you're going to pay back all the things. You're going to pay for destruction and, and costs. Of, you know, war is expensive. And they just basically abused Germany after they won the war. And it's one of the reasons that Hitler was able to come to power so quickly and readily. Germany was in such a state of disarray, inflation, bad economy. Obviously, they just went through a war and they lost, so it didn't doesn't really, place doesn't look good. And so, in this vulnerable state, the best time to take advantage of anyone or anything is when they're in a vulnerable state. Uh, Hitler took advantage of Germany at that time, and so uh, to one extent. You know, oopsies, this is why bullying is bad. Maybe that's just a big old life lesson of don't bully people, okay? Maybe that's what we learned from that situation. Because if you do bully people, maybe one day they'll go, they'll become Hitler, and that's that's not good. In Taoism, we learn that the only constant in the universe is that nothing is constant. A few years later, Lao Tzu, we saw, a few years after Lao Tzu, we saw... Heraclitus, Heraclitus, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, we're just going to go with that. He, he said this dude, This I think it was ancient Rome, might have been ancient Greece, really the same thing, aren't they? They're not. Uh, every He said, quote, everything changes and nothing stands still, unquote. Now, after this, maybe you've put together the pieces with the title, but how in the world are all of these ancient philosophies saying the same thing? Something science can't prove, at least not yet especially something like the Tao, which is quite literally outside of measurement. Is there a chance that these philosophies and ideas, the ones that are a bit outside of science, for example, the Tao, or, uh, I mean, energy, it's somewhat in science, we can measure energy. And, you know, obviously science says, yeah, matter, matter, energy. Uh, but they're, they're, you know, philosophies of like inner peace and whatnot. And so we can measure well-being kind of, but, you know, we can't measure everything yet. Is there a chance that any of these ideas that are a bit outside of science, is there a chance that they're true, that they're right? 
All right, now, you cantankerous nerd. That's a fun word, isn't it? I, I completely forgot I knew that word. I have this, like, list of words that I keep on my phone of, like, interesting words I found. Sometimes I look through them, and I, I find the word. I find this word. And I was looking through when I was reading the script, and I found this word because I, I was thinking of a different word that I thought I knew, that I thought existed, but I, I don't think it exists. I didn't find it. And so I found this word, cantankerous. I'm not going to define it. I'm going to let you... I'm going to let you Google that one. I'm going to let you ask Siri for that one. Uh, if you're going to go ahead and furrow your brows and tell me, oh, no, that just because one dead guy said it and then people took it just like you steal content, they stole philosophies. All right, bro, let's, let's calm down with the attacks here. You don't need to talk about my stealing content. Okay? Back in 400 BCE that, uh, oh, Last episode, I said that BC is before BCE. I'm an effing idiot. No, it's not. They're, they're literally just two different words to say the same thing. BC means before Christ, which is obviously has a real religious connotation. BCE means before common era. It's this the it's the agnostic or atheistic way of saying BC because obviously, if you don't, you know, granted Christ. I mean, Jesus was like real like it's not it's not a religious thing like the dude existed whether he did the wine thing the walking i don't know but that part you can you can disagree with that but you're quite literally just denying history if you say he didn't he existed Uh, whether he was a magic dude or not i mean that's up to you to believe but you know in history history wise that's like saying aristotle didn't effing exist i mean yeah he did I think. I mean, maybe it's like a loud set. Maybe he didn't exist. Anyways, BC, BCE, same thing. So when I, whenever I said that one of them came, I, I was lying. That was, that was a complete lie. I just pulled that out of my nothing. I'm stupid. Anyways, so uh, before 400 or back in 400 BCE and before that, they didn't have a printing press, much less YouTube and the effing internet. They couldn't spread the ideas, especially Hindu philosophy, which was mostly a tradition that was spread and learned orally. It wasn't even written down. It wasn't like the text could get passed along somewhere in the effing snail mail, which was literally back then snail, they put it on the back of a snail and they shipped it across the entire con- That didn't happen. That's a lie. But Maybe that would be cool. While Taoism has its root in China, Hindu philosophy has its roots in India. And they're close by, but the mountains, the Hindu Kush, make it reasonably hard to go between the two. I mean, you can see this in the evolution, right? I'm not trying to be racist, but, you know, Chinese people, they look a lot different than, you know, Indian people. And that's not, that's just the geography was so different. And they were separated enough in the climate and the the world in those two positions were different enough that these people evolved in two different ways and meaning they probably didn't have too much contact. So um, that's one of the ways to think about it. Again, not racist. I'm not saying either of them are better than the other one. I'm brown. But although it is possible that some of these ideas... Uh, oh, oh, and then also, uh, yeah, so Hindu in Hindu in India, Taoism uh, in China, and so, yeah, again, they're close by, but let's say ancient uh, in Rome, where Heraclitus was from, which is, it's quite a few steps away from either of those places. Uh, although it is possible that some of the ideas, especially when we talk about Rome and Greece, 
may have found their way throughout the world. You know, Greece and Rome were way later than Taoism. Not way later. We're a little bit later than Taoism, like a hundred years or so. hundred after Taoism and, and obviously Hinduism was like, whoa, whoa, way back. You know, the yogis were out there thousands of years ago. So at that point in time, you could make the, the argument that, oh, the Romans have learned something about Taoism. Lao Tzu's work, you know, was spread around and everyone learned about it. And that that's possible. Uh, so maybe it did find its way. The reason that I'm reluctant to concede this is because a lot of these things you can honestly discover without reading anything. So this idea of everything going up and down, the Buddha discovered while he was breathing. That he, that's what he was doing. He was breathing. It wasn't this massive effing like he didn't read through millions of pieces of paper. The dude was homeless and he didn't have a single penny to his name. He couldn't exactly buy a piece of paper. And he's not going to go walk into the archives and read the book. They probably won't let him. He's... He, you know, when you're walking around homeless for a while, you're probably not going to be let into a bunch of places. It's not that I'm saying that's a right, but that's how it is. Probably back then as well. He's, but he figured out while he was breathing. And we see that a lot of people figure this out, not because they read something. The books didn't exist back then. Rather, they just observed themselves. They observed life and they observed things and they, they figured it out. And so since you can discover it by yourself, I don't think that it's something that was simply read by some of these ancient Greek or Roman people. A lot of philosophies and ideas that I'll find or I'll sometimes find when I meander into the realm of Eastern philosophies, sometimes I'm a bit sad because I think that I figured something out and then I'll realize afterwards that some old dead guy a few hundred years ago said it and took credit for it already. It's a bit sad, honestly. Uh, the thing is, in my meditation, I've discovered a lot of things. This idea of the law of vibration, like the thing, the idea that everything is moving. I discovered this when I was sitting in an effing playground one time. I was sitting on a bench and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in like 10th grade at this point. I'm a sophomore in high school. So, you know, I've had enough science classes and I was sitting on the bench and I realized, well, I, and at first I was just watching all the trees and there wasn't much wind around that day. Like I couldn't feel it, but I saw that the tree branches were constantly swaying and I looked at the grass and even the grass like was swaying and even without the wind, just the air, you know, moving a little bit, everything was constantly moving. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Everything's moving all the time. Like nothing stand still. And then it's like, well, I'm sitting on a bench. This is pretty still. Right? The bench isn't moving unless you want to consider the earth moving and the bench. But, you know, not to not to go that scale, even though it, you know, that that's true. The earth is not only rotating and revolving. The thing is, you know, the entire solar system is traveling throughout space and the, and the galaxy. But what I also realized was sitting on the bench was the bench, although it itself may not be moving unless I push it or something, the inside of the bench, the bench is made out of atoms. Everything's made out of atoms, of course. And those atoms are vibrating. One thing that we learned is that solids, liquids, and gases, there are different levels of molecular attraction, right? So solids have atoms that are packed super tight. Liquids have atoms that are less tight. And then gases are just, you know? And so, and so these solids, even though they're packed really tight, they're still vibrating just a little bit. They're still shaking a bit. So what I realized was even 
things that aren't in motion, that don't look like they're in motion, they're moving in some way, shape or form in one way. Also, you might ask what happens if all of the atoms are completely still? I think that all of their bonds would legitimately just fall apart and, and there would be no energy. If it's still, there's no energy. So it would disintegrate, basically. So anyways, that that's just some science fiction theorizing there. Maybe one day we'll make a disintegration gun. And the way that you could do that is probably just make something so cold that it can't move anymore. Anyways, that's my my mind uh, thinking about fun science things what that again i realized all of this way before i'd ever thought about before i ever learned about the Tao and everything in constant motion before i ever learned about sanskrit and hinduism and and the brahmin and all the things moving all the time before i learned universal laws and the law of vibration law of rhythm perpetual whatever i didn't know any of these things but while i was just sitting in a park i figured it all out I figured it all out. I figured this out. I had this revelation come to me and it just came from watching stuff. Like that's, that's it. That's all that happened. I just sat there, phone not in hand. I just kind of looked at the nature for a bit. And that's why I found. And so I just made this discovery that a bunch of people, so many places over the world have discovered much before me. And so you can discover these things yourself. So that's why I, you know, I, I might not uh, anyone can figure this out. It's not something that needs, to, you know, these people didn't, obviously they ran some experiments here and there, but overall they, they observed a lot of these Eastern philosophies when they say everything's in motion, when they say, et cetera, et cetera, whatever they say in Taoism and in Hinduism, whatever they say, they're not things that are just tested really. They're things that are observed, things that are found in nature, they're observations. Anyways, divine oneness, cause and effect, yin and yang, detachment, energy and vibration. These are ideas that I'd already known long before I'd studied universal laws. Zen or philosophies of the sort. And you can, you know, I, before I studied any of that stuff, I figured all this out. And you can find things like this as well. Oftentimes, this is, you know, done, found through meditation. It's found through thought and observation by reducing your judgment, detaching from your sense of self and merely observing. You can find these universal truths. The way that we mislearn from lessons is the involvement of our sense of self. When something happens to us, the way that we can learn the wrong lesson is by introducing pride, ego, judgment. These things will bring a bias into your view. They will distort your observation and create maladaptive results. I talked a few weeks ago about how we always learn things from situations. After anything happens, our brain will try to pull something out of it. If you make people laugh, your brain will remember what made them laugh. Maybe you'll reuse a joke. If you feel embarrassed, the brain will remember what happened that caused you to feel embarrassed. This is fine, helpful, learning is great, and we should always do it. However, what's not great is when these lessons, when these experiences create maladaptive results. Being bullied may teach you that you should be a bully yourself, fighting fire with fire. However, if we think about what we want, the goal is to not be bullied. And the best situation is if the bully stops bullying completely, not just you, but in general, they stop bullying. And I'm going to stop that right there. And we will talk about this again next week, because that is a great, great episode that that, that idea that I just brought up. So we'll, we'll, we'll bring that up again next week. Uh, with that uh, fat, fat digression, fat with a pH, life has lessons. And in order to get the best lesson from a situation, I sounded like a robot. You need to avoid bias. 
just like scientific research, bringing yourself into it is how you ruin the findings, ruin the paper, and make the false claim that vaccines cause autism, which they don't. Yeah, bias, bad. That's the moral of the story. Stupid effing research paper, cucking everyone and everyone's effing health. God, stupid, dang it. I don't know why. Why would you publish that, Spring? Why? What went through your... Why? What peer of you did... They, like, who? Who did... Why? I don't understand. How can something like that get published? And then someone does this, like, incredible research. This just incredible revelation in science. And then you know what happens? Oh, no, we're not going to publish that. Sorry. So, screw you, man. And it, I'm not a researcher. What can I say, really? I just sit here on Google all day. The last thing we can talk about is what we can do about this. I think that it's really cool that universal truths exist. The idea that there are some things, principles, ideas, practices that we can follow in order to find peace, find equanimity, or even enlightenment if you really go for it. There are some things that science is working on. Meditation is something we've known for hundreds of thousands of years that helps you go deeper within yourself. And now science is beginning to do its best to learn about it. It's only the, the only thing that science seems to miss is the idea of multiple meditation techniques. There's hundreds of meditation techniques and they don't all work for everyone. So when you have a research project where you're studying meditation, generally we give everyone the same meditation. We ask how, what's the cardiovascular outcomes of people that are made to meditate for 20 minutes every day for a week or, or a month uh, versus a, a group that's not told to meditate at all, right? That, that's like a title of a paper that you might see. The problem is the meditation you give everyone. So it's like, what's the, what's the impact of mindfulness meditation on cardiovascular outcomes for a month? Well, mindfulness meditation is a really narrow form of meditation. There's a very specific use for mindfulness meditation. It is not, it, if you want better cardiovascular outcomes, maybe I, mindfulness meditation probably isn't the best way to go. Mindfulness meditation is used to observe your thoughts and become more aware of the self. It's, a, it's an exploratory technique and an understanding technique. That's the, this is the meditation that the, the Buddha was doing when he discovered the creation and evolution thing. He was watching his breath and he was watching his mind. He was, he was watching, he was observing his body. And so he was observing stuff and he came to a conclusion. He learned something. When we're trying to improve, like, say, cardiovascular outcomes... It's, it's not, you don't want, it's, you're not trying to learn anything. You're trying to make your body work better, right? So there's other meditations that do that. There are meditations that are made to bring focus into other places. There's the, the like Anahat meditation, the, the heart chakra meditation. And you could do that one, right? And I, I'm not saying chakras are real, right? Uh, you know, chakras, whatever, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, maybe that meditation will fare a little bit better. Yeah, there's hundreds of meditation techniques and they don't all work for everyone. So you might dilute your results. So you might say that, oh, meditation helped X amount of people with better heart health. But you know, maybe you could have just given the people that it didn't work that well for a different meditation and you would have seen the same results, if not better. Right? And so anyways, I digress again. I've never said that. I digress. I don't, I don't know. I'm not cool enough to say that. These practices are not as life-gripping as picking up a religion. I'm not being down on religion, by the way. Like I said, I have my own religion that I follow, and I don't mind following it at all. It's fine. But unlike religion, these ideas generally don't tell you, do this, don't do this. They tell you not about what you should or shouldn't do, but about how 
to go about life. They tell you about non-action, about acceptance, detachment, love, kindness, not about morality, not about what's right and what's wrong, but telling you to observe things, ask questions, to breathe, to be like water. Life is complicated. Things usually depend on something. What you should do today may not be what you should do tomorrow. We learn, we grow. However, there are a few things here and there that we can lean on. There are principles, ideas, things that we can follow, use, and ground ourselves. Things that are universally true, discovered time and time again throughout human history. Since the beginning, we have always told people to breathe. So, if you're somewhere in life that's rough, remember to breathe. That's something we've learned over and over again. People wouldn't say it for all of human history if it didn't have some merit somewhere along the way. What's also true is that Kaguya-sama Love is War is a top-tier anime, the lightest, fluffiest, most easy-to-effing-watch anime in the effing world. I think that there's a movie left, and then it'll be over, which hurts my heart to a massive proportion, but all great stories must come to an end. Season 3 was great, as it always is. Next is Code Geass. I've watched a few episodes. I'm on like episode eight. It is very good. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it a lot. And I'm excited to keep watching. That is, if school lets me, my two summer classes, business statistics and communications, is going to be a lot more rough than I wanted it to be. Between YouTube, this podcast, my part-time, and these two effing classes, I'm going to hurt. I have like two quizzes every single week from either class, an exam every like two weeks. These professors are a lot more rough than my marketing professor was in the last summer semester. I thought all professors might be considerate about it being summer and people being busy, but oh boy, we are back to you should be spending 10 hours a day minimum reading, rereading, and then reading again with the notes, the text, and watching lectures. It is not fun. There's 50 billion modules, 50 billion lectures. One of them is basically an effing math class, so I have to actually like take the notes because I'm not, I'm not a god at math, so I need to actually practice the thing. It is, uh, man, I got, I was spoiled by my, by my professor last semester. He was way too nice. And now I have to deal with all of this. Now I have to deal with normal college professors that suck, but you know, it is what it is. Nine credit hours over the effing summer. What can you expect? I honestly, I should be taking 12. I should be taking another class, but I'm not allowed to sign up anymore. I realized that I should have, but too late, too bad now. I'm gonna, maybe I'll have, to, I'm gonna have like an extra effing semester to take two effing classes for this stupid effing college. That's all though for this episode of Seriously Funny. Hopefully, I don't get obliterated by school. Uh, but if I do, you'll know about it. Either I'll tell you or you'll hear a vaulted episode because it got so bad that I didn't have time to make another episode. Hopefully not, though. I'm sure that won't happen. I'll talk at you next week. Much love. Remember to breathe. Peace.